Hello, everybody. Before we get to today's weekend review edition of the Total Soccer Show, I wanted to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Fubo. You've heard us talk about Fubo. You will continue to hear us talk about Fubo because we love them and they are great and also sponsoring the show. Uh, but they're the easiest way to get to watch uh, soccer. They will uh, sometime in the future be adding ESPN because they do have that new deal. But for now, you can still use them to watch uh, NBC, NBC Sports, obviously, as well. Uh, the Fox channels, be in sports, uh, anywhere where soccer being shown you can pretty much watch it uh, and with the family plan three people can watch at once with 500 hours of DVR storage so you can store all those games watch all those games this week if you do want to watch some soccer I know it's difficult to watch soccer right around now because there's only every game being played all the time uh, Tuesday you've got Brighton versus Manchester United that's on NBC Sports you've also got Barcelona versus Atletico Madrid Atletico Madrid I want to emphasize that on BN Sports Wednesday West Ham Chelsea Thursday a big run of games Sheffield United v Spurs, Manchester City v Liverpool, and Real Madrid versus Hetafe. Hetafe could cause problems, you never know, but you do know that FUBA will not disappoint. You can stay updated on your favorite leagues as well as local broadcast news by going to fubo.tv slash TSS and starting your free seven-day trial today. You will not regret it. That's fubo.tv slash TSS. Start your free trial today. Everybody and welcome to a weekend review edition of the Total Soccer Show. I am Taylor Rockwell, and joining me is a man with FA Cup fever, which I should stress is not coronavirus. Very different things. It's Ryan Bailey. Hello, Ryan. Hello, Tata. Yes, FA Cup fever and coronavirus have very different symptoms. I've definitely got the fever of one of those things. Not everybody <laughs> in my family feels the same way, though, Tata. I tweeted a picture this weekend while I was watching Norwich take on Manchester United. Uh, the head of the family, my four-year-old, <laughs> uh, decided to have some sleepy time during that game. She picked an opportune moment to do so, but just the, the disrespect that youth show these days to the magic of the <laughs> FA Cup, I, I was shocked and appalled. I would be as well, except that for whatever reason, they went with like a golf approach from the commentators. It was a very quiet and Manchester United are on the ball now. And it definitely seemed designed to lull us into a, not even a false sense of security, just lull us back to sleep. Um, and the game itself maybe didn't help with that, at least early on. So yeah. I think I think she can be forgiven for maybe not staying awake throughout. Does she usually? Is she usually into games from start to finish? Uh, she usually falls asleep when I'm around because I'm very boring. I think maybe there we that, go. Was the, that was what <laughs> happened there. But to, to note on the commentary there, it was interesting mm. because obviously the, the commentators, I presume, were at Cairo Road, where it's quite quiet. And, you know, maybe they brought their voices down a little bit because they don't have to compete with a crowd. But that hasn't really been a problem for other commentators. No. And it was Jonathan Pierce on the feed that we had on ESPN Plus, who usually is pretty vocal and usually gets right up there in the range. And I think it was Efren Okoku with him. And they both were kind of talking like, yes, there was a baby next to them. They didn't want to wake up. Yeah. And and I, I need the kind of energy of the commentary because in that moment, like I've already like stated that I have a difficult time paying attention when you don't have the crowd noise, because as soon as they don't have a thing to cut to and you don't have the crowd noise to tell you like, oh, something exciting is happening. You If you're not paying like locked in attention, it could be problematic. And if you're not paying locked in attention because you're slowly falling asleep because the commentators are maybe not making it seem like the electrifying game that it otherwise could have been, that certainly doesn't help. Although, as I said, uh, a 
a failure of activity is <laughs> maybe the best way to explain some <laughs> parts of this game. Uh, and then extra time. Uh, and maybe it was a lot. So maybe they were just pacing themselves with the anticipation that it could go to extra time. I think my hot take from the FA Cup quarterfinals from this weekend was none of them were very good. But the second yep. half and extra time of this one was probably the best. Okay. Uh, what did you enjoy about uh, those two parts of this game? Uh, stuff happened. I think mainly that was a, that was a good part of it. I mean, obviously we didn't get any shocks or anything, but we came close. We got Norwich going to uh, pushing uh, Man United to extra time mm-hmm. here. I just enjoy what I think I will call Harry Maguire taking on the Sergio Ramos role. In it's the, the best. He wanted it so bad, this game. He, he really seemed did. to be the one player on the field, and I think he was probably the best player that Manchester United had. Obviously, Bruno and, and, uh, mm. and Pogba were doing their things pretty well as well. But Harry Maguire was just pushing up. And I think we'll talk about Real Madrid later, how Sergio Ramos just likes to be a support striker most of the time. Mm. And Maguire was doing the same thing. In extra, in extra time, did he have like three chances before the yep. goal? Maybe one yep. afterwards as well. He He was, I thought, he showed pretty strong sort of leadership qualities in this game. And uh, I love it when a center back gets right up in there. I think, uh, first of all, I agree. And I know Daryl does as well, because Daryl is a center back and always likes center backs doing things, especially from an attacking standpoint. <laughs> but it was also revealing to me that it was Harry Maguire scoring the winning goal, even with uh, Paul Pogba coming on, even with Bruno on the field and Anthony Martial as well. It was a reminder of like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has that first 11 sort of like humming. He's got them all together. It seems like he's kind of figured out what he wants to do with them. But then the second team, and this was a game where in my notes, uh, my first note was Jesse Lingard. Oh, yeah, because I forgot about him a little bit. And you did see, I think, some of the frailty in the lack of depth of Manchester United that I'm assuming they will try to rectify this summer, maybe with Jaden Sancho, maybe with other players. But it was a reminder that though they have some top-tier talent, they did end up relying on Harry Maguire to scrap in a goal at the very end to avoid penalties. Yeah, interesting that, and as you say, uh, well, they had four strikers on the field for extra time. Uh, (laughs) They brought on six players, which is, I think that's the first time that's probably happened, isn't it? Um, And... I wouldn't necessarily say they suffer from a lack of depth because they brought on six players. Uh, but but yeah, interesting about Lingard. I wonder which MLS team he's going to end up at next season. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, do do you have? I always ask like you this as an as an England fan, as an England person, uh, not an English person, just an England person. Uh, <laughs> what what would you like to see happen with Jesse Lingard, or do you not really care one way or the other because England have so many talented players currently? I haven't thought up thought about it until. Like a few seconds ago, to be honest. All right. (laughs) There we go. I think I have my answer there. Um, (laughs) What do you then, uh, I'll try to be quiet on this one. What do you make of maybe this Manchester United versus the Manchester United we've seen in the last couple games? Do you you think that this was maybe just a a one-off moment? Or do you think there is maybe something to be said for the lack of depth and the sort of reliance on their key performers to get a result? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I wonder if there's a narrative. We might, we might just be looking at a, a one moment and one particular game, but is there mm-hmm. a movement here towards Ole Gunnar Solskjaer pushing this team more towards the kind of play that fans would want? Attack, attack, attack. More that Alex Ferguson mm-hmm. style. As we say, they had 36 shots at goal, 28 of them off target, by the way, and Tim Krull taking care of a few of them, um, not least that Harry Maguire header that should have gone in. Uh, and a lot of attacking talent on the field at one point. It was quite an exciting style of play as well in that four-two-three-one. Is this a little bit of a glimpse of the future of what Solskjaer wants to make this team into? I suppose uh, in that it's he wants a team that's fun to watch rather than not fun to watch, which is what it's been for the past few seasons and managers. 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, I would be certainly okay with that because when, when Jose Mourinho came in speaking as a fan, I was sort of resigned to, all right, I'll take 1-0 wins, even if it's going to be boring, even if it's going to be kind of dull. A win is a win, and maybe that's the mentality to take. Mm. It is definitely a bit more fun to have the attacking play, to have the goals, to have Paul Pogba seeming like he wants to be there again, hopefully, maybe, possibly. So I, I am excited and enthusiastic. I, I don't yet want to completely move away from my concerns about the lack of a director of football and maybe the lack of like overall vision from the top down uh but in terms of like the like on-field performances it does seem like he's kind of settled into what he wants his players to do and how he wants to play and most like importantly how he manages to get people to cover if Paul Pogba does go roaming forward how it doesn't leave them exposed so I think we are seeing a little bit of the managerial nuance and it does seem to be working for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer so let me ask you this Tate as a Man United Mm -hmm. Fan, how far is this team from being like a really good team? How many pieces of the puzzle do they need? If a Jaden Sancho comes in, mm-hmm. how close are they to being, wow, this is a really good team on paper we've got here, do you think? I mean, I think if if they get more consistency, they 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 might not need Jaden Sancho, but they probably do need another attacking piece uh, to just give them a bit more versatility, maybe a bit more pace. I have concerns about Jaden Sancho, but he would be very good. And I think given that Dortmund posted, I think like forty five million euros in losses this season, uh, maybe they're going to be needing that money. So maybe uh, they'll be able to prize him away. Hmm. The bigger issue for me, I think I said prize instead of pry. The bigger issue for me is that lack of depth, as I mentioned, because as you see here, if you don't have Bruno Fernandes you have Juan Mata uh, and his aging legs they announced today Angel Gomez won't be signing so it's 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 maybe one starter away from me being very comfortable but then also I wouldn't mind some some depth coming in just to give it a bit more uh, attacking options and a bit more attacking depth okay happy with the fullback situation I mean, Luke Shaw is Luke Shaw. <laughs> I would, I'd swap him for Ben Showell. That would be fine with me. Yeah. And I, I mean, Aaron Wan-Bissaka is, is the greatest uh, fullback of all time, obviously. And of you could course. just put him, put him on one side and he'll play both positions. And that's fine with me too. <laughs> uh, wh- so you said this was maybe the most entertaining of the games. What did you make yeah. of, of, of Leicester Chelsea, which was maybe not the goal fest that I had hoped for, but it, it did have Christian Pulisic doing uh, pretty solid things. So in that regard, I was okay with it. Yeah, it did. Ha- it had a Pulisic narrative, and he had that mm-hmm. shot uh, that didn't become a goal, <laughs> um, <laughs> which he pretty much blasted with all the power. Hit it about two hundred miles an hour, but straight at the. Keeper. I think you said in the show notes, uh, Pulisic almost done a goal, and I think yeah. that's uh, that's well said. That's well put. I mean, that's all we need to, for uh, for US soccer Twitter to blow up, though, isn't it? Pretty, pretty much, almost doing a goal. But here's a question for you about if we're going to go on Pulisic. Uh, seems to be having calf issues. And I think the latest I saw yes. is that's it. He's having some calf issues. Are we concerned that this is this kind of schedule that Chelsea are on at the moment playing two to three games a week, bit too much for Christian, who has been known to pick up a few? Is that a bit concerning that he might be even overused at this point? Yeah, I, I was on a Grant Wall's show yesterday and I said something similar to what I'm going to say now, but it's basically like the commentator in that game was was simultaneously making me feel better about it and worse about it. Cause it was like, Oh, you always see players get the ice on the legs after the game. Although not that much, that does seem like a lot of treatment. So you have to wonder, but it could be nothing, but it might be something. Mm-hmm. I feel like he was trying to play on my nerves, but yes, uh, to your point, I do think this is a very crowded fixture, uh, like ske- schedule of fixtures. And I do think that ballistic is probably not going to feature in all of them. As I said before this game though, to see him play, 
like midweek last week and then get this game this weekend, which I think when Daryl and I talked about it, we forgot that it was the FA Cup. I think we thought it was just another league game, um, <laughs> but that he was able to feature in two pretty important games in short order. I think that says a lot to me. We probably won't see him midweek this week for Chelsea, but I'm guessing we do see more of him. So I, I will only be concerned if he goes multiple games without getting minutes uh, yeah. because I do have some injury fears but maybe if he does pick up more injuries we can trust that frank lampard will uh figure out how to substitute him properly because frank lampard is maybe taking the title of king of substitutes he is the king of substitutes (laughs) he's feeding into the narrative once again in this game yes you're right substitutes coming on and changing the game enter ross barkley and kovacic Mm -hmm. as well actually sort of changing things up um very impressive the ross barkley narrative seems to be taylor he is a the best he is the best of times and the worst of times uh, <laughs> simultaneously. Um, if if Ross Barkley is the answer, what is the question? I think is um, is is how we should frame this. Perhaps if he is, if Ross Barkley is the man who saves your team and turns it around. What's going uh, on? Ro- Ross Barkley is the answer to who's that guy that we forgot to list when we were talking about Chelsea midfielders. <laughs> it's usually Ross Barkley uh, when I'm talking about Chelsea. But in this game, I think a big thing you could hear Frank Lampard on the sidelines. It was a lot of ro- go on Ross, Ross get forward, go Ross. Like I think you could see that Lampard made those changes with an eye towards sort of taking the game to Leicester, going at them a bit more and making Leicester uncomfortable. And I think that's what Ross Barkley does in this game. Maybe he also makes Chelsea fans uncomfortable from time the time but in this one that he seems to consistently try to get forward with the encouragement and then obviously gets the goal uh, off of a sort of holds up his run and then pounces at the last minute I'm still not sure if Willian is aiming for Ross Barkley because it is so perfectly put into space where Ross Barkley is not yet occupying but yet gets there right on time I don't know if it was meant for him or maybe maybe Tammy Abraham but either way I thought Barkley uh, very important in this game from the goal standpoint but then very important in this game from like changing up that mentality a yeah. little bit and just making Chelsea a bit more aggressive in that second half and I think that was the case for Kovacic as you mentioned and for Tammy Abraham who I believe also came on at halftime yeah and this was um Lampard saying that he well he said after the game that he gave them an almighty talking to at halftime Ross Barkley mm-hmm. actually said he said it's not good enough for Chelsea for the Chelsea badge to be forming performing like that in the first half and he was right they were very flat even Angelo Conte was kind of misplacing balls all over the place which makes you wonder what on earth is going on but yeah. very much a game of two halves to use the cliche here with uh, Lampard proving once again that he is the master of uh, changing up his side to improve things, which makes you wonder, is he not the master of the starting 11? Hmm. (laughs) I mean, I I think this is a good argument for why the five subs rule is not the worst rule and maybe why mm. it should stay is because like you, you do sometimes get uh, those managers who will change it up before that, before halftime or at halftime. Uh, uh, Mauricio Pochettino was one who I think had no qualms about changing things if it didn't seem to be working. But I think managers can get nervous to make changes prematurely, especially when you only have those three subs, because you never know if somebody's going to pick up an injury and then you could be without a player or playing down or something like that. The five subs, I think really does free you up to make these sort of dramatic sweeping changes that then change the narrative of the game so i I enjoyed that decision from frank lampard if for no other reason then to me it feels like it justified the move towards five substitutions uh ryan Ryan, where are you on that one do you have any sort of concern about it or are you good with five subs being uh the rule of the land at least for now i kind of like it and i like when teams like a triple substitution at half time which lampard did there i think it was aspilicueta that came on as opposed to abraham for the for yes the, it was uh, thank you thank you thank um, you and he had also had impacts on getting the goal as well of course um 
yeah, I, I like I like that kind of thing. I know a lot of people saying, "Oh, you've made six changes to your team. You've changed half your team. What's the point of that?" When looking at Man United, for example, but I don't have a problem with it. Why would you have a problem with it? Yeah, it's one of those things of like the purity of the game, and why would you ever change it? As though the rules haven't changed consistently throughout time. Right. Because I remember reading Sir Alex Ferguson's book, and he was really bummed out because he was left out of the starting eleven, and that means he wasn't playing that week. No substitutions at that point. <laughs> like, so <laughs> I think it's worth remembering that we've gone from that to uh, making changes that I think help with uh, aiding in player uh, player fatigue and player injuries, but then also again gives managers a bit more flexibility and a bit more freedom, and in this case gives uh, Chelsea a win and uh, passage to the semifinals. Uh, I don't have much more to say about this game aside from, yes, Christian Pulisic almost gets the goal. Maybe he should have done a little bit better. He puts a lot of power behind it. It's a yeah. good save from Schmeichel, but it is sort of right at him. But yeah. a lot of this sort of runs and the uh, sort of acceleration that we've come to see, but some of the slaloming runs through the defense and then staying out wide when he needed to, it wasn't a lot of the exact same thing every single time. It was a varied performance from him and I think uh, a necessarily varied performance that does see Chelsea through we have the draw it was not the draw that i had hoped for uh, mm. i wanted to get a manchester derby and a london derby instead we'll have uh, man united hosting chelsea uh a, a massive thing there you know the home crowd gonna, gonna be massive in that one <laughs> man united hosting chelsea and arsenal hosting manchester city of those two games ryan which one are you more excited for for whatever reason um i think it's going to be manchester united chelsea because okay man united are a bit of a they're a bit of an unknown quantity for chelsea aren't they and that 4-0 yes. at the start of the season didn't necessarily indicate how things were going to go. And yep. I think that could be a really good matchup looking at both these teams. I mean, it seems based at least on this weekend, Man United were in, uh, you know, gearing towards something in terms of an exciting style. And Chelsea are in a really good spotlight now. Lampard's mm-hmm. very impressive. They've had two really good wins in the last week. Top four is looking good. Last four of the FA Cup. He has by far exceeded expectations. I mean, if you ask a Chelsea fan at the start of the season, they probably would have said, top half of the table, this is a rebuilding season, maybe going deep in one of the lesser cups, that would have been happy for them. I think he's done really, really well there. Um, yeah, I agree. And I mean, it's worth remembering that they had the transfer embargo. So this is like a Chelsea team that we thought they've got an, a semi unproven manager coming in. They're not going to be able to make the acquisitions they might need to really, truly strengthen. I don't know how this is going to go. And instead, it's gone quite well. Yeah, it has indeed. It has indeed. So yeah, I think I think that game's more interesting than Arsenal's uh, 3-0 loss to Man City in the um in these upcoming games. But it's interesting how stacked these this uh, final four is. I think that's the winners of the last six FA Cups we've got in these four teams remaining. So very excited about that. Although I do like to have a smaller team in there. It's, it's fun when we didn't get through. It, it is, except that like people always uh, like not trying to criticize you but I, I i know there are times when people say like oh like the magic of the cup is all about like smaller teams getting through and then i forget what final it was one year it might have been when portsmouth won but it was like portsmouth v somebody and it wasn't that exciting and i think it was like incredibly low uh, ratings because yeah. it was not the big teams so though people say they want sm- small teams we will get two big teams in the final um i do not know if we'll get arsenal but i think that game will be very fascinating simply because Arsenal do get the win. They beat Sheffield United. They advance. Mm. But watching that game, Sheffield United could have won that game by a couple goals. They have two, I would say, correctly disallowed. I am still confused about the offside rule when it comes to defenders deflecting the ball. My understanding was that if a defender makes a play on the ball and touches it, it negates the offside, which means that both of Sheffield United's goals would have stood, but they did not. So who knows? But that aside, 
it was the Arsenal defense again causing problems for itself, really struggling to defend set pieces. I mean, the Sheffield United goal comes off of uh, Klasenac, I think hits it into his own player. I can't remember if it's David Luiz or somebody else, but hits his own player, comes yeah. back off, and then it's an easy sort of tap-in goal. So you still have the defensive question marks around Arsenal, but then you have the moments of transition attacking play and the young players coming through in Saka again having a strong game, and you can see aspects of what Ateta wants that team to do like being implemented in the attack, less so in the defense. And now they're going to go up against Manchester City, who already thumped them uh, since the season restarted. Will Man City still be motivated? Will they want to win the FA Cup? Will they want some sort of silverware? I think that game could be really interesting from Arsenal potentially getting blown out, but then maybe Arsenal also causing some upsets. And this is when the Arsenal squad clicks under Arteta. So that game, I'm excited to watch, but I'm with you. I think Man United-Chelsea is the one for me because you've got Christian Pulisic versus uh, all of the players we have already mentioned, be it Paul Pogba or Bruno Fernandes. So, uh, yeah, I think either way, you can't go wrong with your semifinals of the FA Cup. And then we'll be back to break those games down. And then the final as well, Ryan. We've got cup finals. It's it's an exciting time to be alive. What a time to be alive, Taylor. No children mm-hmm. will be falling asleep during FA Cup games in my house here on after, I can assure you. <laughs> is that is that you guarantee? You're promising this. Yeah, I've, I've already got my foghorn ready. well it's an exciting time to be alive from an fa cup standpoint it's also an exciting time to be alive from a science standpoint ryan uh and today's episode is brought to you by science more specifically brought to you by forhims.com a one-stop shop for hair loss skin care and sexual wellness for men uh worth noting 66 percent of men start to lose their hair by the age of 35 once you have noticed thinning hair though it can be too late so before you go full zidane he seems to be the one that i pick on most often when it comes to uh, hair loss, you can take some action and that's where HIMS can have you covered. Yes, yes. And the best uh, best method of prevention is to do something while you still have hair. Exactly. And, and some guys do weird solutions or do nothing when they could turn to, as you say, medicine and science, who are the primary sponsors of Total Selfish Show. <laughs> uh, HIMS.com is your one-stop mm-hmm. shop for hair loss, skincare, sexual wellness for men. Let's write a new chapter, one in which you got hella hair, baby. <laughs> uh, right now, our listeners can get started with their first month for free by going to forhims.com slash total soccer. That's F O R H I M S dot com slash total soccer, all one word. Uh, Ryan, would you care to read the disclaimer in your fancy English accent? Uh, which accent would you like me to go for today? Which region? Uh, oh, but wow, you're that specific with it. Whichever region you think is least represented on this show is the one that I think you need to. Go um, with. I think I'll go Stevie G. Prescription requires oh an online consultation with a medical provider oh will determine if a prescription is appropriate. <laughs> Offer valid only if prescribed. Three month minimum subscription. <laughs> Additional restrictions apply. See website for full details and important <laughs> safety information. That is. Outstanding work, sir. Remember, that's forhims.com slash total soccer. Thank you very much to Hims for sponsoring this episode. Thank you very much to Ryan Bailey for pulling the the Scouse accent out of nowhere. I did not know you had that in the repertoire, sir. There's, there's two Scouse accents. There's the Stevie G high one, and then there's the Beatles one, which is when you try. <laughs> there's two very distinct ones. <laughs> I always forget that they're from the same city, and you're right. It is because of the uh, the lower pitch to it. Well exactly. done, sir. Well done to Werder Bremen, who stay up. They'll be in the Bundesliga, maybe, possibly, but 
likely in the Bundesliga next season uh, with a 6-1 to thumping of FC Köln, who themselves were already secure uh, in their Bundesliga uh, fates for next season. But six goals in this game, uh, in their last four games, they've won two, lost two, and in the two wins, I think it's 11 goals for and two against for Werder Bremen, mm. which to me feels a slight bit like if you're a distance runner, like if you run a 10K or a half marathon or even a full marathon if you're Ryan Bailey. And like at the end, if you're finishing the last half mile at a full sprint like you save too much you have too much in the tank and if you're scoring 11 goals having not scored very many goals all season i feel like Werder Bremen maybe held on to their goals until the the final couple days yeah they did indeed and they are now 39 years in the bundesliga and counting although as you say they do have a playoff coming up um they began the day at the weekend as favorites to go down they were two points mm-hmm. behind fortuna dusseldorf with a worse goal difference uh fortuna, by the way i spoke i interviewed uh lutz vanensteel the sporting director mm-hmm. of fortuna dusseldorf earlier this week uh, he didn't mention if he was concerned or not, but I don't. Maybe he didn't predict the series of events that went down this weekend as they did with Fortuna Düsseldorf losing to Union Berlin three 0 I think he is out of Fortuna Düsseldorf right after this season, so I think he is yes. probably okay with whatever happens. <laughs> Indeed, he is actually yes, but uh, still, still, it, it could <laughs> yeah. might, might not have uh, enjoyed what happened here. And we've got the playoffs coming. Uh, That's I think probably the, true. The second uh, and sixth of July will be the two playoffs here. More often than not, I haven't got the numbers in front of me, but the the team in the uh, Bundesliga tends to stay up and the Zweite Bundesliga team tends to yes. not come through. But uh, a pretty rousing performance here, made possible by FC Cologne's terrible defending. Yeah, that that is the thing here is like, I would love for this to be especially because Josh Sargent is both involved with Werder Bremen, obviously, but is involved in the scoring. He's a, a halftime substitute scores in the 68th minute. Yeah. But like you, you kind of as an American fan, or if you're a Werder Bremen fan, I'm sure you wanted this to be a sort of great escape. Oh, they they caught fire and they won four of their last six or something like that. Not really the case here. Werder Bremen, as I said, they win two of their last four. I think they lose to Bayern Munich, but then they also lose to Mainz, who are 13th. So it's not as though they they lost to Bayern Munich and lost to Dortmund, but then beat two decent teams. Instead, they lost to Bayern Munich. They lost to a, a 13th place team, and then they beat the 14th place team, and I believe they also beat the 18th place bottom of the table team. So yeah. it does not then make me feel like, oh, okay, Werder Bremen have figured it out. They're going to be much better the next season. I'm going to guess it's going to be more of the same for them. But I think the opportunity, if they do stay up, to battle for more of the same is certainly uh, an opportunity they would have preferred over playing in the uh, Bundesliga 2. Yeah, and the secret to their success, Taylor, I think as we discussed before the show, is their coach, uh, Ted Lasso. Okay, yes. Florian Coldfield. <laughs> uh, every time it cuts him, I was like, that's Ted Lasso. Are they doing like a little a Sasha Baron Cohen style uh, slot, slotting into the Bundesliga here? What's going on? Oh, man. Sasha Baron Cohen is, is too busy uh, being amazing in the Pacific Northwest. But Indeed. you never know where Ted Lasso is. And there are still rumors that there is going to be a Ted Lasso show. Mm. So you never know when he is going to pop up on the sidelines in some weird promotional stunt. Lasso that would have been I, lovely. I wondered, I wondered if, if this was it. And it's been, a, you know... <laughs> <laughs> it would have been a good game for uh, Ted Lasso to preside over, definitely. And v- uh, very I- weird uh, results in the Bundesliga as well this mm-hmm. weekend, Taylor, by the way. This this being a 6-1 uh, with Borussia Dortmund losing to Hoffenheim by four goals, uh, Bayern Munich with a four-goal win, Freiburg and Sch- uh, Schalke losing by four goals. Yep. Lots and lots of big goals. 
what a league. What a league. Yeah, what a league indeed. What a what a strange finish to the season because we do have uh, Bayern Munich confirmed as your champions, though that obviously happened a while ago, mm. finishing 13 points ahead of second place Borussia Dortmund, who you mentioned, uh, drop points again. Leipzig in third. Uh, Gladbach end up finishing in fourth, so they get that final Champions League spot at the expense of Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, I will be sad next season because I do think, as I said earlier, Borussia Dortmund are going to have to move some players on. They mm. do already have some people coming in, and I'm sure they'll make some more smart signings. But it does now, with that in mind, feel like this could have been the season that they really push Bayern Munich a little bit further, at least. And now my guess is that next season we're going to see more from RB Leipzig, who themselves are losing Timo Werner. Uh, at least right now, that's all they're losing. There could well be more. So we maybe will end up getting more of the same from Bayern Munich being dominant. Uh, I guess that will remain to be seen for next year, but there's other narratives to look forward to, like if Schalke uh, turn it around or if they just continue to be in free fall. And the same goes for Werder Bremen. The yep. same goes for, say, Eintracht Frankfurt, if they turn it around. So lots to look forward to in the offseason and how these Bundesliga teams strengthen. But we can also talk about the new arrivals. We already had uh, Arminia Bielefeld uh, confirmed. Now we have Stuttgart definitely confirmed in the second spot. They avoid the the relegation uh, promotion playoff, which I'm guessing they will be very happy with because I think they are uh, for like for like 15 years, I think it was or something like that. Uh, no Bundesliga team lost that relegation playoff except for Stuttgart, who lost it last season. That's why they were in the two Bundesliga <laughs> so that they sort of avoided it and found their way back. I'm sure they'll be pleased with that. They avoided it, found their way back with an American in charge. Pellegrino Matarazzo uh, makes me very, very happy. Uh, Ryan, he was not on my radar at all uh really prior to like this weekend which i am sort of ashamed by because that's a big thing we talk about on the show as american coaches and how we need more of them abroad yeah had you heard much about him or anything about him prior to this weekend new jersey's pellegrino matarazzo do you mean mm-hmm from uh born uh, in november 28th 1977 in wayne new jersey that one so we've got the wikipedia page open is that he what's happening for, here the one who sticks for six who used to play as a defender right <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, of course. I feel like I have my answer. <laughs> but it is, it's it's another, like, I, I would argue, six it's not six, quite. By the way, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that didn't register to me. Oh, wow. <laughs> that is, there is something to be said for a tall coach. The intimidation factor of having a big coach, maybe that's what it takes if you want to be an American abroad, is you either need to be gigantic or wear gigantic lifts. And then you have that intimidation factor to balance out people being like, you're an American and you play soccer, which I know people will think that's an overblown thing. But like every, like when I lived in Turkey, if I could kick a ball, most people that were that I was playing with would be like, but you're an American. You know how to play soccer? I'm so confused. That that stereotype <laughs> remains, hopefully less so in the Bundesliga, where we do have lots of Americans doing lots of things. But for Matarazzo to, uh, to get the gig as he did, basically, it's his first coaching job. He's an assistant for Julian Nagelsmann at Hoffenheim. And I think maybe that uh relationship as well as maybe that sort of like influence is why Stuttgart chose to roll the dice on him and yeah. were very much rewarded with them securing that automatic uh, automatic promotion spot but with David Wagner at Schalke and you maybe we see Jesse Marsh make that jump to uh to the Bundesliga Jesse Marsh winning the Austrian Bundesliga with Salzburg this weekend as well we could potentially have three Americans in the Bundesliga Ryan which I know is not as exciting for you as it is for me but since you live here you have to at least pretend that you're excited about it of course, I pretend I'm excited every time we speak. To oh, that was mean. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I, I think yeah, that, that, that is a very good thing. And I would be concerned for Pellegrini Matarazzo because I think that Stuttgart might come up with maybe the weakest squad in the league. It's going to be a very tough year for them. He may be the first of the Americans to depart his role, perhaps, if I'm going to be super negative about it. Yeah, 
that could be. That could be. I mean, it, it always depends on what their expectation is. If yeah. there's the awareness of like, look, we know we're not giving you many resources. We know you're going up into a league that you have never managed in that it, like that we were already relegated out of. Mm. Like if, basically, if they're OK with potentially being a yo-yo club of continuing to sort of build to the point where they can be stable and in the Bundesliga, maybe he gets some time. But I'm with you that if they start off with a few losses and things don't look very coherent, we might well see him uh, get the sack and, and a more sort of experienced relegation battler uh, in the Bundesliga come in to handle those responsibilities. Can we also add about Stuttgart, uh, Mario Gomez? It was his final game. He retired. Yes. Uh, he scored in this game. Uh, th- this was his uh, his club growing up. He was his youth club as well. So a nice little arc for Mario Gomez too. No more pushing the button. I, I am I am sad that we don't have him in the world of soccer anymore, at least as an active player. And yet simultaneously, again, sort of forgot that he was playing until this weekend when I saw him getting tossed up in the air by his teammates. So I guess that's a good way to go out on top, getting pushed back to the Bundesliga as opposed yeah. to having another game uh, of a playoff or something like that. So well done to Mario Gomez. Well done to Stuttgart. Well done to Matarazzo. And I would say well done to Josh Sargent. We should reiterate one more time. Does get a goal. Uh, it's a nice little chip. It's a... It's a it's an unassisted goal, but it's great work from uh, Milo Rashitska to keep the ball alive and to yeah. kind of poke it into his path that takes a deflection. But it's also Josh Sargent winning the header that leads to that sequence. So yes. I think that he kind of facilitates it and then finishes really calmly made me very happy and is certainly the end of the Bundesliga season for Josh Sargent that I would have hoped for. I don't know if Barcelona fans are getting the end of season that they had hoped for because they again drop points, uh, 2-2 draw with Celta Vigo. And it does seem like things are maybe starting to reach a breaking point for Barcelona. Ryan, what what did you make of this game, given the way it went, of Barcelona being pretty solid, pretty decent in the first half? They get a great goal uh, from Luis Suarez off a set piece from Lionel Messi, which I thought was excellent. And then sort of the wheels come off, which does feel like a little bit representative of their entire season. When it comes to this game, Taylor, I will quote early 2000s uh, Scandinavian rock band The Hives and say, hate to say I told you so, because I predicted uh, in my betting column I wrote that uh, that Barcelona would drop points here and it would be a big turn in the title race here. Celta Vigo are basically Barcelona. Well, they're a bogey team for a lot of teams, but particularly for Barcelona. Uh, before this, at the Estadio de Balados, I don't know how to pronounce that name, Balados, I'm sorry. Um, I thought they, it was good. They hadn't won in their last five visits. They'd lost three times going to this stadium. And you looked at the form they were in. They looked pretty unconvincing in that uh, performance against Athletic midweek and had that pretty poor scoreless draw against Sevilla. Uh, the weekend before, uh, you could just see an upset coming here. And come it did. Come it did. Yeah, it did. <laughs> it did. And it could have been worse uh, because Nolito misses a sitter at the end. That yes. could have made it 3-2. There were other chances in there. It really does come down to Luis Suarez being very good and very clever and Lionel Messi being the same. But I think that is also the worrying sign for Barcelona fans, that it continues to be the sort of older guard of Ter Stegen and Pique and Messi and Suarez who sort of pull them out of the doldrums, find a way to help them get some goals, find some clever moments to make things happen. Yeah. But then as the game goes on and Celta get a bit more comfortable and find their footing... It, it does seem like rather than that sort of motivate Barcelona to then elevate their performance and change it up or even just go the Pep Guardiola route of keep the ball, possess, frustrate them until they make mistakes and then capitalize on those mistakes. Mm. Instead, it's Barcelona who make those mistakes. And, and it seems as though 
the source of that frustration will end up being Kike Setien. Uh, after the game, the very telling Luis Suarez quote that has been doing the rounds, uh, translated, of course, is, we are losing important points, which we didn't used to drop in other seasons, pew, pew, which pew, pew. definitely feels exactly <laughs> like, I mean... When you're saying, like, I don't know, other coaches didn't lose points, that does seem like you're then saying, but this one does. Uh, Similarly, the other uh, footage that has been doing the rounds is of Lionel Messi. Uh, I'm going to say more or less ignoring Ere uh, uh, Sarabia, uh, Kike Setien's number two, during one of the cooling hydration water breaks. Uh, they're trying to kind of have a little bit of instruction, and Messi sort of walks away uh, when Sarabia starts talking. There is a look of frustration on his face, in my opinion. That's where I don't want to get too much into this, because I know some Barca fans have said, like, oh, this is just normal. He's just heard what he needed to hear, and now he's trying to focus. But to me, that looked like, what'd you say? Oh, I don't care what you have to say, and walking away. And it's then evidenced by when he walks back, Sarabia, I think, has another opportunity to try to say something to him or takes another opportunity. And again, Messi seems to ignore that. I think Rakitic may have done the same mm. uh, at another point in a hydration break. So it just seems like maybe that coaching staff is not getting the respect they either deserve or think they deserve. But either way, there does seem to be a divide that is getting increasingly obvious and increasingly large at Barcelona. Yes, definitely so. And by the way, Lionel Messi being moody, are you sure, Taylor? Have we ever seen this before? But there was um, there was uh, reports in Marca of an argument between Setien and the whole squad in the dressing room mm-hmm. as well. Uh, it's 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 very interesting. You know, player power has been a factor at Barcelona a few times over the years, and I think we talked before the show. It, it's reminiscent of when there was that old story of Messi being told by Pep Guardiola that he couldn't drink soda, and him producing one in the locker room to drink in front of everybody and Pep yeah. while Pep sort of stands there in silence and then, I don't know, Messi crushes the can on Pep's bald head. Uh, I might have made up that last bit. But the point being that, yeah, there is a, a player power issue here and mm. it seems like they've shifted the blame. You remember this was all uh, Valverde's fault not so long ago. Of course. Now, now it's Setien's fault. And it's, it's, it's odd because the first half performance here was pretty good, had a decent level of intensity, maybe even the best Barcelona we've seen since the restart, but it, it came to nothing. As oh, Setien seems to have more of an attacking style, more aesthetically pleasing, but there are a lot of problems still there. This Certainly. is the team that looks doesn't look as good when off the ball, and particularly when losing the ball. This team doesn't seem to instill as much fear as it used to. I think they don't control games, and I think probably a lot of that comes from the midfield. Uh, there's there's you know, there's risk taking. One of the goals mm-hmm. I can't remember was it the first or second um, uh, Celta goal was basically being caught with a high line and only having yep. PK back. Uh, was that the, that was the equaliser, wasn't it? For the, uh, the I, I believe so. Yeah, and that's uh, not that, that's not the ideal person. No disrespect to Jared PK, who's an incredibly good defender. But yeah. when you're talking about a foot race and the last defender, you kind of don't want it to be him. Yeah, and he had a two on one situation in that for that first uh, Celta goal. So there was there's sort of risk taking like that that happens, and j- as you say, just lots of lots of mistakes where you wouldn't normally expect mistakes. And even from Lionel Messi, who by, you know, got two assists and by, uh, had a pretty decent game here, but you're watching him put off these amazing one twos and doing his little curling shots from outside the box, which nine times out of 10, you would have seen those go in, but then you're seeing yep. them hit the stands in this game. And when that happens, I think, you know, it's not going to be your day. Exactly. Yeah. Cause I think you can only like ride the talents of the best player in the world for so long before eventually you have to have other people around him. And I think that is an issue. Uh, Dermot Corrigan writing for the athletic wrote a, a very good piece where he sort of goes back and looks at the last, 
like like undeniably solid transfer window that Barcelona had. And it and it's basically 2014. It's when Luis Suarez comes in as well mm. as many other players. I think that's when Ter Stegen comes in too. And you can sort of see that as being, oh, those players are still around. They are still the core of the squad. And from there, it's a lot of players who are in and out of the team or not even with Barcelona anymore. And I think to your point, you see the cracks in the team, but I think it's also that they're not as frightening on the field. And then they're also not as intimidating of an organization off the field. The, yes. the front office keeps making mistakes with recruitment and keeps overspending on players who don't necessarily address areas of need. I would argue that really the player who they've pursued and acquired who does make sense is Frankie de Jong, who was injured for this game. And aside from that, it, it's telling that it is Jared Pique who's that last defender. And it's Longley and it's Umtiti who are still the center backs that they're looking to and not reinforcing there. Meanwhile, they've brought in however many number of attackers who are fine and are good, but are not necessarily addressing the major issues. Yes. And I think, sadly for Barca fans, that probably does not get dealt with until there are presidential elections, which I think don't happen for another year. So until that happens, I don't think we're going to get, maybe like Xavi continues to be rumored as the manager coming in, but he seems to want a completely fresh start. So is he going to take over with a sort of, like the same board in place that maybe he doesn't necessarily believe in. I don't know if he'll be inclined to do that. And I think there's going to be lots of questions about the long-term stability of Barcelona, um, which is, I'm sure, frustrating for Barcelona fans just from a general Barcelona fandom standpoint, but then also given what Real Madrid seem to be doing and the consistency they're putting in. Um, before we move to that game, Ryan, anything you wanted to mention about uh, the Celta-Barcelona game that we haven't yet touched on? Yeah, just one more, just to reinforce you saying how they're relying on the hits and the older players to, to, to mm-hmm. get results here. And this was an example, two of the younger players on field, Ansu Fati and Puig on the left side, both being pretty ineffective my resounding memory of Fati was that shot he had from like the edge of the six yard box where yeah it felt like he was using his pitching wedge when he should have used his driver and it went like <laughs> it poofed it about 40 yards in the air and that seemed to be pretty representative of what was going on on the on the field golf that's what I say to that I say golf, Who doesn't uh, golf? well if golf analogy that's what I find <laughs> uh, well, if uh, Barca fans are feeling a little bit anxious, a little bit nervous, they're feeling stressed out, they need to relax, then Ryan, have I got a product for them? Because today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Sunday Scaries, specially formulated CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that are super consumable and easy to take on the go. They've got vitamins, but they can also then help you feel better, relax a bit more. So you're getting vitamins, but then you can also relax a little bit ideally. And I think that's what we're all after especially if you're an anxious barcelona fan yes indeed or anxious any kind of fan as am i also and, uh, I've, uh, I've, uh, I've, as i mentioned uh, last time we spoke i'm all aboard the cbd train i'm a mm-hmm. big fan of it uh, having uh, done my research into it and sunday scaries being a very excellent option for chilling out maxing relaxing and cooling as it says on the uh, on the copy we're reading here they've become a leading cbd brand for millennials what about mm-hmm. those zoomers taylor I've got to catch up with those zoomers. i mean I don't know. The, the Zoomers are too busy making fun of us for eating avocado toast and caring about brunch <laughs> and stuff. So I'm not sure if they're... I'm assuming they're into CBD. So I'm going to guess it works for them as well. Uh, hopefully, if they're listening, they will check it out. Um, and if they do, they can also go with the Cabin Scaries program, which helps promote social distancing and responsible isolation. And a portion of the sales are donated to the Bartender Emergency Assistance Program beep. to help displaced hospitality workers. The BEEP program. Uh, so if you do want to support that or support Sunday Scaries, you can get 20 
25% off, I guess, and support us uh, of your first order with the code soccer at sundayscaries.com. That's 25% off your first order at sundayscaries.com using the code soccer when it asks for a coupon on the checkout page. Sounds good to me. I'm in. <laughs> uh, find out what product might be best for you by going to sundayscaries.com. Use code soccer one more time. Thank you very much to Sunday Scaries for sponsoring this episode of the Total Soccer Show. Thank you very much to Kareem Benzema for uh, pulling out a moment of magic that really livened up that Real Madrid game because prior to that, it was not as entertaining as I had hoped with bottom of the table Espanol hosting uh, now top of the table Real Madrid with the yeah. opportunity at that moment to, to go top, to, to stay top and to distance themselves by some margin. Um, but at halftime, it didn't seem like that was going to be the way it was going to go or, or right before halftime, I should say. Um, it seemed like, oh, they're really kind of struggling to create chances. Espanol playing very solid defense and, and Real Madrid maybe just not being quite as efficient. But then Kareem Benzema pulls out some uh, some cleverness, and we have a 1-0 win for Real Madrid. Ryan, your thoughts on that goal, specifically what Karim Benzema did to allow that goal to happen? Karim Benzema, he's been one of the heroes of the restart, hasn't he? Yep. Uh, this is the second amazing thing he's done, basically, since uh, the restart. This was incredible. And I've seen some narratives saying, oh, he didn't really mean it. He was just backheeling it into space where he thought he might be. No, I think the, the intention no. was there. I mean, how can you look down on a casual, no-look, backheel, nutmeg assist for a goal? It's incredible. Incredible. It stuff. is. And and if people haven't, if people haven't played, not that I am one uh, percent fraction as good as Kareem Benzema, but if you haven't played, there is something to be said for if you have your the defender on your back and you know they're sort of squared up to you, and you yourself are standing squared up, you know that their legs are then going to be a little bit apart, like shoulder length apart. There is that opportunity. And especially if that defender is maybe over committing a little bit, a little bit like overly aggressive because of how close you are to that goal, which mm. does happen. You can kind of gamble on, I bet those legs are open. I'm going to go for a quick back heel. And I'm going to guess he gets a shout for Casemiro or the very least sees him in his periphery, knows that run is happening and goes for that back heel. Yeah. I, I'm inclined to believe he entirely knows what he's doing and is fairly confident he's going to pull it off. And then obviously after he does, is very confident that he pulled it off because he did and because it ends in a sliding in goal for Casemiro, which itself is a fine finish. But the, the back heel is, is the, I think, star of the show. Yeah, definitely. And there were, there were a few stars of the show on the field here, Casemiro definitely being one of them. Mm-hmm. The way he holds down midfield is just beautiful. I mean, look at this team and then look at Barcelona's. I've got so much more confidence in this team and its ability to close out this yep. season, basically. The spine of this team, I think I'd say. Courtois, superb. Varane and Ramos in the back. Is there a better centre-back pairing right now in soccer? I'm not sure. Casemiro in the middle doing what he does. Not just his defensive contributions, but getting up there and getting in the goals, getting in dangerous positions as well. He even had a shot from inside his own half in this game, Taylor. <laughs> which <laughs> The keeper got a glove to it. You know, a couple of yards extra on it. He would have had a, a spectacular Beckham-style halfway goal. Uh, and, and in the middle as well, Tony Kroos there. Just incredible distribution. And, and going up the spine there to Kareem Benzema, who's, you know, been in incredible form. Uh, since since the restart. That's an amazing spine to build a team upon. And it, it's hard to see Real Madrid not claiming this title now, is it not? Or am I speaking in isolation of this particular moment? I don't know. No, I mean, I, I think anything can happen, obviously. And there are still, what, six games to go uh, for most teams, seven to go for Hatafe and Sociedad, who play today. Mm. Uh, but no, I, I think that if you're following the sort of narrative trajectory of both of these two teams, Real Madrid seems like 
uh, Zinedine Zidane has the players buying in. They've bought into a system. Those who have not are maybe not as involved, like, say, Gareth Bale, who does not play in this game, like Hamas Rodriguez, who does not play in this game. Whereas you have Isco playing, but then you have Vinicius coming on Vinny Jr., as I think Ray Hudson was trying to make happen. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I I think that you, you see this team as like veterans who are still performing and seem to have to be well backed by their manager and are therefore backing the manager themselves. And then that's augmented by younger players who are sort of providing that spark and are pushing those players ahead of them to perform at an even higher level for fear of losing their spot. And you contrast that with Barcelona, where it's sort of the veterans being like, hey, youngsters, please, like, challenge me, push me. I I need a little bit of drive here. And I think you have that, like, discrepancy, and then you have the questions around Setien and what's going to happen with him and his long-term future and if the players are really enjoying his work. And barring a major turnaround, and that would be the narrative, is that he found a way to turn it around and everybody bought back in and Barcelona found a way to win. I don't see Real Madrid slipping up at all, but no. certainly not slipping up enough that they they cease to like win games or win enough games consistently that they end up on top of the table. So I'm not going to like there shouldn't be their their coronation yet. They, they shouldn't get the uh, the the victory applause, the guard of honor. Not not necessarily yet, but I I do think that that is probably not far off, and I do think that's probably how this season ends in La Liga. Yeah, they've got so much momentum at the moment, Taylor, and I'd say that extends also into the Champions League. At the moment, I think certainly last time I looked, Madrid were like the ninth favourites for the Champions League. They're behind yeah. to Manchester City in this, but I think that's not an insurmountable feat to get past Pep Guardiola in the latter stages of the Champions League. Um, and they're behind sort of, you know, Atleti and PSG in, 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 the, in the bookmakers' odds. And just look at this team and you look at Real Madrid's history in that competition – and, and I think oh, have, have they won it? Have they won it recently? Have they won it like right. three times recently or something? They've done it. They've done all right in the past few oh. years. Yes, certainly. And you know, the, I think even this one leg situation with the with the uh, tournament in August could really suit them as well. And and just look at their depth and how much. Look at the bench they had in this game with, uh, as you said, Bale and Rodriguez. And they've got Asensio on there, Diaz, Mariano. All these players they're not even using at the moment. They're going to have. I think they're going to have more than enough to put up a really good fight in the Champions League and in the league, frankly. I agree. Although with the names that you've just listed, all I can think about, it's been a while since I looked at their actual weekly wage bill, but I have a feeling their total like annual wage bill is the GDP of a small country, Uh, especially with those names that you're mentioning. So maybe that is partially to explain why they're able to put in the performances they are. But I think a lot of it remains the Don. A lot of it remains the core of the team and some of those youngsters. So well done to Real Madrid for the win. Even if it is against the bottom of the table team, you got to win the games, you got to win. And that's what they did here. Uh, One more competition to talk about. Let's go to North America, Ryan, because we have soccer in the United States, live soccer once again. The NWSL returns, the NWSL Challenge Cup kicks off. We do want to talk about some of the actual games because so much of the headlines have been about the national anthem but we are going to start there uh but not maybe from the obvious perspective you did had uh most players choosing to take a knee uh in solidarity with black lives matter and with the protests about police brutality uh and i think credit to them for that which has led to much debate uh alexi lawless obviously got into it on twitter and suffered the ramifications there my question for you ryan why are they playing the national anthem in an empty stadium? Because like, I understand the tradition of it. And I think the tradition of it itself from where it started to what it is now is a little bit odd. I don't. So I guess let's take that in two parts. Number one, do you find the national anthem before sporting games, like in normal situations, odd. And then in situations when there are no fans, even odder. 
Yes, I think it, it, it is odd. And I'll, I'll recall when I first arrived in this country in 2011, uh, one of the first things we did was go to an NFL preseason game in, in Carolina. And the, everyone standing and putting their hand on their heart for, uh, for the national anthem at the start, I was a bit perplexed because we've never done that before. I've never seen mm-hmm. a sporting event do that before. The only time you do it is in international games, like in England games, I've seen that happen. And, um, and at the FA Cup final. And that's about it. Um, and I can understand when it happens in an in, in international game because you've got that whole partisan yep. nationality thing going on. But when it's a domestic competition, I couldn't quite understand who it's for. And I'll say in terms of the NFL, certainly, there's this, the way that the anthem is tied to the military-industrial complex as well. And it seems that mm-hmm. they go hand in hand, the military and the national anthem, as if they are inseparable things is is quite curious from an outsider perspective uh, yeah it's almost like that was a deliberate a deliberate branding <laughs> almost so yeah huh. yeah so it's it's interesting and i think particularly now it seems like it's a questionable practice to have the national anthem i'm not i hope i don't get pelters for saying that but i just mean in the sense that it it can't be good for teamwork or the team Mm. itself the teams themselves when some people are kneeling and some people are standing that's helping to create like a i think i've seen it described (laughs) as a hostile work environment right yeah i I would agree with that this ritual which has good intentions which has good patriotic intentions has transformed into something else and has become a negative it's become a talking point it's become something that it shouldn't necessarily be and i'm all for you know in the uh, north carolina courage game against the portland thorns the uh, anthem was played on a saxophone. That was wonderful. And he went, he ad-libbed pretty hard on that anthem. That was so strange. I enjoyed that. that. But, uh, but in terms of the, 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 the current situation we have, I just don't know if it's quite necessary. And I, there'll be plenty of people who think I'm completely wrong and, you know, I, what do I know? And that's fair well, enough. But that's I don't disagree I with you, first of all. Well, I don't disagree with you about much. I do disagree with you about the saxophone. I found that jarring as can be. <laughs> only because I kind of I know he plays the flute, but like I almost expected them to cut to Ron Burgundy on the sideline, like just rocking out that saxophone. I I guess for the for the inaugural game of the competition they wanted something special. Um but that disagreement aside, I don't disagree with anything you've said. And it goes back to I believe I am correct. We've answered this on the show before. Uh I did not go back and listen, but from what I remember uh, the national anthem begins uh, with sporting events around the time of World War II, I believe during World War II, as a way to sort of generate national pride and to remind people that sports are happening, but wars are happening and, and you support the troops and support the like the war effort. And that makes sense to me if you're in the middle of a war. It makes less sense to me as we go on. And I think this is the thing that gets lost so often. And some folks have done a good job of explaining and focusing in on is that, yeah, it becomes this thing where if you are kneeling during the national anthem, then you're disrespecting the flag. And by that, by that measure, you're then disrespecting the troops. And that's a weird combination that I don't personally enjoy, uh, because to me, I can like the United States, but then also not like aspects of the country. And the idea that no matter what you have to stand and be respectful for, for respectful for a flag, if you yourself feel like that flag and what it represents is not respectful to you. Yeah. Like, I, I think that makes total sense to me. And so I, I have no problem with people st- with kneeling. I, I just also think that to your point, if you're not going to put proper context to it and if you're not going to sort of like help people understand what is actually happening here it looks like a photo op and it leads to a hostile workplace exactly as you said yeah. so we'll see what happens there but i am content to like not talk about 
uh, kneeling anymore and instead focus in on uh, the Courage's win, if that works for I you. will just say for balance, like the League Two playoffs, which are happening today, they're having the national anthem played at Wembley. Um, but I think it just it carries a different weight when it's outside of the it's US. It's your national stadium, yeah. It's a national stadium, and it's a, it's a, a big playoff game. Um, but it carries a different weight when it's not as tied to the military as it is here. And I'll say, like, you know, every single Premier League team took the knee before games, and they've been doing it all over Europe with not a word said. It's like, that's, that's the right thing to do. Fine. It's not quite as politicized as it is over here. So it's it's just a different environment. And I doubt it will change. I doubt they'll take away the anthem. But yeah. it's all, it's going to be a contentious issue um, going forward, I'd imagine. Yeah. I mean, you you really, like... I think there are probably people who would be okay with it. I think it is also, uh, as I've said before, like the optics of it though would be bad. That mm-hmm. it would, it, it, it's an easy thing for for uh, like like right wing pundits to attack. Of like, see, they're so against America, they're not even playing the anthem anymore. And right. I think you, if you want to not have to deal with that, you will just continue to do it. But maybe they'll let people kneel, or maybe they'll like cut to the game after the anthem has already happened, which again defeats the entire purpose, or maybe makes more sense because there's no one in the stands. I would also say that you all uh english people have to sing that anthem right because otherwise doesn't god forget to save the queen well yeah it has to be reminded periodically right of course so i mean i get that like if you don't sing it she, she passes away so you have to sing it periodically and it makes sense to sing it at the national stadium just so you get everybody on board but that said i would be fine if they replaced it with wonderwall i think that's just a bigger <laughs> anthem for us <laughs> Let's talk about the Courage's uh, two to one win for a moment. We have goals from Dabinia and Lynn Williams, which feels appropriate given that Dabinia uh, was the, I believe, the MVP of the final last season. Uh, she starts it off with with a great goal, courtesy of a lovely Haley Mace assist. Uh, and I would say the winner is even better. Very similar. I thought for a moment it was like the exact same two people when it happened because it's crossed from the right. Yeah. Uh, good header inside. This uh, the, the winner comes from Lynn Williams, courtesy of a Sam Mewis ball. And I think I'm also forgiven in thinking that it may have been the same people because I think for the first goal, it was they just cut in the middle of the cross to a different angle and we sort of missed the goal happen so you might be forgiven if you didn't know for sure who scored that first it was very odd wasn't it literally the camera angle just as the cross was coming in it cut and it seemed like there's almost like a second or two of footage missing and um, mm-hmm. it was it was a very odd way of uh, framing it from the uh, from the people who met who did the footage there. Yeah, very strange. It was it was, but I, I thought this game was uh, was very very fun. Like I went back and forth. I didn't mean to hesitate there. I was just trying to decide what word I wanted to go with between like fun and energetic and really entertaining. And I think it's probably all three because you had goals, you had lots of back and forth action. You also had. A little bit of the rustiness and that can then be fun in of itself because then you have sort of mistakes that you probably don't get later on in this competition that mm. create opportunities it's what happened uh in the spirit game uh listen Nyers, uh like gets the ball tries to play it out hits it straight into a spirit player and the spirit score off that one like you're gonna have those moments of chaos because you've got this tournament back underway with players maybe not back at full fitness and not back at their kind of 100% capacity. Uh, but with that said, it did seem like the North Carolina Courage, even if they're not at 100%, even if they're only at 90%, will maybe be better than some teams when they're operating at 110%. Yeah, that's probably true inside or outside of, uh, of, current, uh, of coronavirus though, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that is the the way it tends to go. Uh, yeah, I think if you want to steal like the German joke and apply it to NWSL, it's like soccer is a game of two halves played over a total of ninety minutes, and at the end, North Carolina Courage win. And, and that before there's be a the way it goes. blasting sack solo as well. 
<laughs> uh, I should mention the other thing that stood out to me from uh, the Courage's two to one win uh, for Portland fans. I think though they'll be sort of bummed out uh, about this loss. Worth remembering, this is not the sort of complete roster of the of Portland because that was put on hold because they wanted to bring in some foreign players and strengthen a bit. That obviously could not happen during coronavirus. But no matter what, they still have Lindsey Horan, who is so good in the air and causes such problems. And that is where Portland's goal comes from. Uh, she sort of forces the issue with a header that then gets tapped in by Charlie. But it's Lin- uh, it's Lindsay Horan on both sides. Uh, in the first half, she has some great chances in the air. And I thought she was a, a big, strong player, a big, important player for the uh, Portland Thorns. So well done to her. But credit to the North Carolina Courage for getting their competition off and running with that 2-1 to one win. Uh, we're going to be trying to cover more of the NWSL Challenge Cup as it continues on on the Total Soccer Show. Uh, that's for another day. But for now, Ryan, thank you for talking about lots of different leagues and lots of different soccer. Uh, it's good to have the variety back in this one as opposed to only having the Bundesliga or only having one or two things to talk about. We've got many leagues, uh, some coming to a close, but others back fully in play. Long may it continue, Tete. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Never a chore.